Amen. You can be seated. If you have a worship folder, inside is an outline with the verses on it, um, some fill-ins. Take a few notes, write a few things down. I want to kind of bring you up to speed on last week. Last week was Easter, and along with, oh, I don't know, some 2.3 billion of our closest friends, we celebrated Easter. And um, I'd like to kind of give you our Easter by the numbers, just because it's, it's important. Um, so here's the first number. Last, last week in the three services, we had a total of 715 people. The most amazing thing was there was enough leaders for this, but in the back, we had a total of 122 kids, which is amazing. Think about the average size church in America is 125, and we had 122 kids. That's just exciting. <laughs> but the most exciting part of that was in that back area, as we were out here, four kids gave their lives to Jesus last week. And... Out here, among the three services, you ready? 40 adults trusted Jesus for the first time. Just an extremely exciting thing. We gave out little, uh, like, brass keys um, to remind people that Jesus is the door, but faith is the key that unlocks the door. And I had somebody say, ah, I lost my key. And it's like, it's okay, it's just a symbol. You're still good, all right? It just symbolizes that faith is the key that unlocks the door. And they were really little keys, easy to lose, but they were little because you don't need a lot of faith to start with. All you need is enough faith to trust Jesus. Just that's where you start. And we talk about this because we talk about numbers because numbers matter. I have, I have some friends in in. in at other in other cities at other churches and they'll oh we don't talk about numbers here we don't we don't count people and i say well let me ask you this do you count your offering and they they will always say yes i said so what you're telling me is money is more important than people right we count people for one reason because people matter numbers represent people Each number represents somebody who God loved, who Jesus died for, who we want to love in the name of Jesus. So very exciting, very exciting. We're starting a new series today, and we're going to kick it off a little bit differently. If you were in the first service, you cannot answer this question. And I'm just going to say right off, first service, this like bombed royally, and I shouldn't do it again, but I'm going to do it again anyhow. I'm going to play a song. I'm not going to play a song. I want to play a song that you could recognize. If I play the song, you would never recognize it, so we're going to play it over the speakers. If you recognize the artist, okay, I want you to let me know. And I, I need, I'm going to need help because if I'm looking over here and somebody over here recognizes it, I, want to, I need to know the first person who recognizes the artist. And if you were part of the first service serving or something or you heard or somebody told you that doesn't count, be sure your sins will find you out. But as soon as you recognize who the artist is, I want you to let me know because I have a prize. And it's a pretty sweet prize. All right? So go ahead and start playing. Anybody guessed from that much of it, I would say. First service, everybody just sat there and stared at me. No, no clue. I said, I know many of you are as old as I am. And now we're just going to play it because I like it. This is skipped to my favorite part. All right. Last time I ever do that. It was Journey. And some of you are like, what? What? You have to be old. That was from 1976. Um, I remember watching a movie one time where Bruce Willis was playing old songs like that. 
and he had a kid in the car, one of the Die Hard movies, and the kid says something about it, and, he's, and Bruce Willis says, you kidding? That's classic. And he said, just because it's old doesn't mean it's classic. So anyhow, I had sweet prices, but that's the way it is. Here's what we're going to talk about. The name of that song was Look Into the Future. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look into the future today, and here's what I want you to do. You have to use your imaginations now. You have to be able to use your imagination to see something that's, that's like not there. I want you to picture your age like a big number. <laughs> Wait. I understand that it is for some of you. That's not what I mean. I mean like big as in size. Like, you know, you get the birthday balloons that have the big number. I want you to picture your age as that big number. And then here comes the hard part. I want you to picture adding five to that number. Now, I know for some, that makes the number a little bigger than you'd like. I'm sorry, it is what it is, right? I am actually excited because I can't wait to see what God is going to do in me and through me and through us. I really believe the best is yet to come. But here's what our problem is. One of the things, we think about that, uh, that number with a five added to it. It's like, holy cow, what, what is that going to be like? What am I going to be like? Here's what our problem is. It's one of the things I heard in my last year. I did that eight-month training, the purpose-driven training. And one of the things that really stuck with me was this. They said, we overestimate what we can do in one year. We overestimate what we can do in one year. We underestimate what we can do in five years. Because sometimes it's just if we stick with it, if we stick to it, we can accomplish so much more than we thought, but we overestimate what we're going to do in a year. We underestimate what we can do in five years. But for so many of us, um, we have tragically short attention spans. The, the stick to is getting way harder to find among people these days. You know, you see it. We see it. People are just quick to bail on things. When we're not happy anymore, it's like, I'm out of here. We bail. When the road gets tough, we quit. When something easier or, or maybe short term comes along, we're really quick to hop on that bus. This is kind of true in all areas of life. I know it is certainly true when it comes to ministry. As, as many of you know, for almost 20 years, I was a youth pastor, a youth minister. This was true when I was a youth pastor, but unfortunately, it's also true now and even a little bit worse. The average stay of a youth pastor at a church in America is less than two years. It's a little over a year and a half. But lead pastors aren't a whole lot better. The average stay of a lead pastor at a church in America is less than three years that they make it in that church. How can you make an impact on people's lives? How can you make an impact in, in, in the community if you don't even give yourself you know, enough time to really hit your stride? One of my pastoral mentors said something to me, and I have seen it play out many times. It's not until year seven that you really start to make a difference. One of the reasons is people have gotten to know you. You know, not just on the surface. They're really getting to know you. You're getting to know each other and minister from those relationships. They get to know you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, the, the real nitty-gritty, it becomes real. I actually think that's why many pastors move on because they want to pretend. They want to hide. They want to just impress. So you can impress from a distance, but you can only impact up close and personal. And I wonder if those same things aren't maybe true in many areas of our life. Our families, our jobs, our relationships. We overestimate what we can do in short term, but we underestimate what we can do long term if we just stick with it. That's actually what's behind the series that we're starting today. That's the heart 
of you in five years. That's the heart of this series. Um, We're not going to say as a church because of this, I'm going to be a little bit better. We're not going to say, all right, let's finish out the last two-thirds of 2019 being a little stronger, being a little bit further along. We're going for it. We're going to be bigger than that, and we're going to say this, who could I be by 2024? Five years from now, who could I be if I get moving? Who could I be if I give it all I've got, if I trust the God who made the heavens and the earth, who is for me and not against me, who gave his son, who gave me his spirit, the guidance and the power that comes with that? Who could I be five years from now? That's actually a fairly common question in job interviews. I've had that question in job interviews. I've always personally viewed it as kind of a trap. Because it doesn't matter how you answer, it's going to end up being bad for you. So I have, if some of you are getting ready to interview for a job, be prepared for that question. Um, I have some potential answers for you if you're in that interview process. These may or may not be answers I've used in the past. Where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, Dead or in prison. (laughs) That's one way to answer. Another way, buddy, I'm just trying to make it till Friday. Or maybe, I would like to be in a position to be firing you. (laughs) I'm saying, don't use those answers unless you don't want the job. If you want the job, don't use those answers. I want us to see this from the perspective, not just where do you see yourself, but who could I be five years from now? Who could I be? What we're going to talk about today is something that I think everybody here can relate to because at one time or another, what we think of is, this is the life I got stuck with. What is the life I got stuck with? What do you get stuck with? We're going to look at Romans. Paul wrote a, uh, in Romans 13. We're going to look at this in the message paraphrase. I love it in this version. Starting in verse 11, it says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted, and I, I stop right there, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we're like, a, you know, half a sentence into it already. It's me. We're absorbed and exhausted. But he says, don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations. Now, day-by-day obligations are important. They're good. We should do that. He's not saying don't do that. He's saying, make sure you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and that you doze off, oblivious to God. He tells us, he warns us in verse 12, the night is about over. The dawn is about to break. Be up. Be awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. I can't get into all of it right now, but um, when we first believed, he began a work of salvation. If you are, if, have said yes to Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, he started something in you. Salvation actually has three phases. It has that phase when we first trust Jesus, we get, we get broken from the penalty of sin. Because of what Jesus did for us, we get forgiveness from our sin, forgiveness from our past. God separates that uh, from us as far as the east is from the west. We are declared righteous by God. That's the first phase of salvation. That penalty of sin is taken care of. There will come a day for those who are followers of Jesus when we'll stand before him in heaven and the very presence of sin is gone. That's glorification. That day is coming when he wipes away our tears and and the presence of sin in our life will finally be gone. But in between that and when we first come to him and experience the penalty of sin being broken is that whole in-between thing that we're going through right now. And that's, the Bible calls it sanctification. And that's where we're day by day, moment by moment, being able to break the power of sin in our lives. 
as we get closer to Jesus. We're not going to be perfect here, but the idea is to have that power of sin broken so that we get closer and closer. As we get closer to him, those things that trapped us so easy don't happen anymore. And what Paul's saying here is, is it's almost over, people. God's just putting the finishing touches on the salvation work that he began when we first believed. In verse 12, he says, We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation. Dissipation is excess. It's taking something that's kind of cool, it's kind of fun, it's kind of good, it's kind of all right, it's kind of fun, and going way overboard. He's saying, we don't have time for that. We don't have time to waste a minute in bickering, he says, and in grabbing everything in sight. Verse 14, get out of bed, get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. I don't know, I'm feeling really guilty reading this, but he says, dress yourself in Christ and be up and about. I memorized this in a version that says, clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it on like a garment and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what we have to do because the time is short. So you, in five years, five years... Five years is enough to accomplish quite a bit. I actually, I've actually written a few things down, made, made a couple lists here um, to give you examples, um, just examples, you know, to kind of get you thinking. What could you do if, if you gave a real serious effort for five years? What kind of things could you do? I, have, I actually have a positive list and a negative list. The positive list is in five years, you could be fluent in a new language. You realize that? With the stuff they have out there, with the, the, the computer stuff, the Rosetta Stone stuff, the different things, you could become, flu- you could, might say, I've always wanted to learn how to speak Spanish. I've always wanted to learn how to speak French. You could do that. You could become fluent in five years. You know, most of the world, most people in the world are fluent in more than one languages, at least two. I'm like maybe 75% fluent in one. And maybe by the end of five years, I could be fluent in that one. But you could learn a new language. You know what else you could do? Maybe you've always wanted to finish and get that degree from college. In five years, you could do that. Maybe you could even get your, your, your diploma and you could go to night school and you could get a degree from college to do the thing you always want to do. Maybe it's about work. Maybe it's just because you've always wanted to do it. Now, that's not for everybody. It used to be that that was kind of the thing you needed to do. And we used to joke about that because that kind of started to transition in my lifetime, and it used to be that everybody had to go to college. You had to go to college, and it's a good thing to go to college, but we used to joke that in my town, what would happen is people went away to college, and when they came back, all the kids who didn't go to college got all the good jobs, and the people who went to college couldn't get a job. So maybe that's your thing, but maybe you've always wanted that. Maybe you, need, you want to do something that requires that. You could do that in five years. Do you know, you, maybe it's not about college. Maybe it's just about learning something. Maybe it's to switch up jobs. Maybe it's just to know something. You could learn a new skill in five years. If you stuck with it, you could learn that new skill in five years and do something that you've always wanted to do. You could, you could binge watch Netflix for five years. Wait, wait, that's for my negative list. I'm getting ahead of myself here. You could, you could become very proficient at a new sport. Maybe you could take up running. You know, you want to run a marathon, you're not going to do it tomorrow. But in five years, you could. A lot of things could happen in that time. Maybe you could save up to buy something. You know, one of our kids started saving um, and and actually paid cash for a snowmobile before he was a teenager. So you could save up because it it adds up fast. In fact, this is a good time to do this. Um, You need to understand five years, because if all we think of is years, if we think five years, it's harder for us to to kind of grasp this. So let's look at it this way. Five years is 60 months, okay? Relatively simple math. You could also become proficient at math in five years. 60 months, it's 260 weeks. That means if you did something once every year, you would do it five times. If you did once every month, you would do something 60 times. If you did something once a week, you will have done it 260 times. 
every day. And that's what I tell kids. You know, I want to do this, but I don't have enough money. It's like, well, save your money. Well, I'll never have that much. If you save for five years, a dollar a day, you'll have $1,825. Actually, that's not true. You'll have, uh, because in five years, we passed two leap years, 2020 and 2024. So you get two leap days. You'll have 1,827 days to save. That's 43,800 hours. And if you count the leap hours, you get another 48. 2,628,000 minutes. You realize in the next five years, if you're getting behind on what you want to accomplish, you have 2,880 extra minutes in the next five years because of leap minutes. Okay? Now, through 2024, you could accomplish a lot. You save a dollar a day and you have almost $2,000. That's a big deal. Some of you, it's like, you need to read. You want to read. I want to read. You know? You could read 60 books. You say, no way, I read 60 books. That's one a month. But you'd have to stick with it. You know, average book is a couple hundred pages. You'd only have to read a few pages a day and you would have read 60 books. And that's big because leaders are readers. And readers are leaders. You could do that. The other thing you could do is you could radically transform your soul and your closeness to God in 60 years by just putting a few things into practice and sticking with it. Maybe you change the, 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 the way or the time that you pray every day. Maybe you, you memorize, you know, I'd say you could memorize 60 verses. Like, no way could I memorize 60 verses. It's only one a month. Maybe, maybe it's, you, you say, I've never read through the Bible. I started, but I keep getting bogged down. I've never done that. Here's the thing. If you read two chapters a day, two, two chapters a day, you know, like maybe Old Testament and New Testament, just so you don't get bogged down, so you see the big picture, two chapters a day, in the next five years, you will have read through the Bible completely three times. Just two chapters a day. So many things could be done in the next five years. But there's a negative list as well. Because five years is enough time for a lot to happen. Five years, five years from now, you could be going through a very messy divorce because of five years of neglect in your relationship. Five years is enough to be partially through a prison sentence. Maybe you're five years into a 20-year sentence. I get letters, I get a, a three, four letters a month from prison for people who are going through that. It would also be enough time for you to get majorly addicted to drugs or alcohol such that it could destroy your life. In five years, that's enough to go from I'm doing pretty good to racking up a mountain of debt. Just a little at a time. It doesn't take much. Five years is enough to put on 30 extra pounds. I, I may be speaking here from experience as well. That's only a half a pound a month. Okay? It's also enough time to smoke 36,000 cigarettes. 36,000. You say, uh-huh. you're one of those pastors who's going to talk about cigarettes, huh? <laughs> you realize that in that amount of time, if you smoke a pack a day, you will have spent over $10,000 in cigarettes? I've had many people ask me, you know, you know, this pastor doesn't like cigarettes, you know, is smoking going to send me to hell? It's like, no, smoking won't send you to hell. But you'll smell like you've been there. Or they'll say, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, if I smoke, can I still go to heaven? And my answer is always, absolutely. And you'll get there quicker. <laughs> Five years is also enough time to quit, by the way. Five years is enough time to do a lot for good or for evil. Would you agree with that? You see, we overestimate what we can do in short term, but we underestimate what we can do in long term. So since we can do a lot for good or for evil in five years, what this series is going to do over the next few weeks is going to try and get us to make the choices 
to have the things happen that will make a huge difference for good in our lives and around us. And it's going to take stick to It's really just a big introduction today. It's like tip of the iceberg. Here's a statistic I, that as a pastor, I don't like this, it is what it is. In America, the average Jesus follower in America attends church one to two times per month. That's not journey north. We're not average. But across the country, that's the average. Now, the way we do things here is we do things almost always in a series between, you know, four, five, six weeks, something like that. When I do a series, I consider the series is the message. It just takes, you know, four, five, six weeks to go through everything. That means that the average person in an average church only hears 20 to 40% of the message. You know, skip, skip, attend. Skip, 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 attend. Christmas, skip, 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 skip. Easter, skip. (laughs) That's discouraging a little bit. We're just starting today. What if? What if you came every time during this series and heard the whole message? The The whole thing, not just parts of it. What difference might it make in your life, in your family, in you five years from now? I'm going to risk this. I'm going to give you the whole series arc in one sentence. It doesn't mean you don't have to come back. It's just the whole series arc in one sentence, and here it is. The ways you let in become the ways you are set in. You might want to write that down. The ways you let in are the ways you become set in. See, we have ways. We all have ways. God has ways, and the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. He sees more than we do. He understands more than we do. But we have ways. Most of the ways we have, we've probably inherited. We've inherited many of those from our parents, some good, some bad. I don't know about you, but you find yourself doing something, and you realize, that's one of those things I said, I'll never do that. Because we inherit those ways. We inherit them from our peers. We inherit them from things we watch. We have ways. The ways you let in become the ways you are set in. You've probably heard this. You've heard somebody say, just going through the motions, right? Just going through the motions. And when we hear that, here's how we take that. You're just going through the motions. Your heart is not in this. Let me give you a little secret. Going through the motions is only wrong if you're going through the wrong motions. Getting stuck in your ways can either be the worst thing or it can be the best thing, depending on if your ways are good or bad. Does that make sense? So here's a couple things from our text in Romans. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes. Kind of obvious. Time is not on our side. Time is not on our side. Twice in this passage, Paul brings time up. You know, don't ignore it. He says, be aware of the time. Don't dismiss it. He says, the night is over. Dawn is about to break. He wants us to be conscious of time. And the word time in that passage is actually two Greek words for time. One of them is is chronos, chronos, which... Um, you have a, a chronograph, a chronograph watch. That's where that word comes from. It's like that. It's just like a function of a watch. It's just time. That's very simple. Just generic time. But there's another word for time that he uses here in his passage. It's called kairos, and it means strategic time. It means specific time. So chronos, if he used that word, it would just be like, what time is it? But kairos. Is like, for instance, you're at the airport. You're getting ready to get on a plane, and they start calling over the loudspeaker for boarding. You know, um, we're boarding babies. You know, 
I mean, that would be weird. Adults with babies. Although, wouldn't that be cool? See a bunch of babies get up and start walking out of the plane. But then they say, now we're boarding rows one through five, because, of course, we all know one through five are far more important than the rest of us. And if you watch them, they think they are. And then he says, now we're boarding, you know, like rows six through, you know, 212, you know. And then finally, the last thing is, okay, now we're boarding Tim. That's how it feels when I'm there. But when they're announcing these things, those are specific things. They're specific times. You know, we're closing the doors now. It's time for the plane to leave. These are very specific things. That's, that's Kairos. Strategic and specific time. This is opening. This is closing. Paul said, the night is about to be over and the dawn is about to break. He was actually referring to the end of life. And even though you might not want to think about it right now, it's hurtling towards you at breakneck speed. In Psalm 39, David says it like this. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, he says, each of us is but a breath. You see, he says it's like a breath, it's like a fog. Our lives seem so solid and real right now. That's how it feels to us, regardless of your age. The houses, the cars, the stuff, the pursuits, the, the social media, the everything, it just seems so real and solid, but you understand that's all going to vanish like a fog. And now you're sitting here thinking, wow, I'm glad I came to church today. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 90 puts it like this. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. If you're 80 or over, you're doing good, is what he's saying. But... Even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. That's why he says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Now I know what some of you are thinking, especially the younger ones here are thinking, not me, I've got it all before me. I'm not old like you. I've got my whole life ahead of me. Here's what I know for certain beyond a shadow of a doubt you're going to blink and decades will be gone. I guarantee it. Some of you right now are blinking. (laughs) But here's what happens. The longer you live, the faster it goes. I've had it explained to me, you know, like time and relativity and compression and stuff, and it's like, yeah, it's the toilet paper roll. The closer you get to the end, the faster the roll spins. That's life. Time is not on your side. Peter, Peter says it like this. He's actually quoting Isaiah when he says this in 1 Peter 1. All people are like grass. All their glory, that means all the good stuff, all the accomplishments, all the amazing things that we think of, all their glory, it's like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls. The flower fades, the flower goes away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You see, time is not on your side. We're like grass. We're like flowers of the field, but listening to and obeying God's word, we can tap into something eternal. So, here's the next thing. You in five years, time is not on your side. Number two, future you is simply an exaggerated version of current you. Future you is just an exaggerated version of current you. It's very easy for us to romanticize the future. You know? Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? By the way, my dad's still asking me that. (laughs) I don't know how to answer it. You know what you're going to be when you grow up? You're going to be what you are now, only exaggerated. 
For instance, you know, you want to know what you're going to look like when you're older. You can look like yourself, but with more miles on the odometer. (laughs) By the way, the Suburban is now 298,100. We're going to make it. It's so close. Anyhow, it has nothing to do with anything. I love, I love people watching. I love to look at people. I love to look at people and see pictures of what they were like when they were younger. I love to do that. But one of the reasons I love to do that is because I love to see people now and visualize what they're going to look like when they're older. I love doing that. Because so many people are like, they think they're so freaking amazing. And it's like, yeah, you look good now, but wait 15 minutes and it's going to change, you know? But this is not just about looks. It's about who we are. Because the truth is, if you're nice today, you'll probably be nicer then. If you're a jerk today, you'll probably be a bigger jerk then. Because all the things we do, all those things inside, they deepen. They mature. If you're generous now, you're probably just going to be a more generous person who's a little bit more leathery and wrinkly on the outside. Okay? But if you're selfish today, you're probably just going to be a more selfish old person. All those things deepen. You know, they fill into the cracks and they mature and they harden and they form our character. One of the things you should see from this is that it makes a selection of a spouse really important. Because too many people are looking for and at the wrong things. They're looking at the flower, being fooled by the grass. It's the things on the inside. The things on the inside did get better. Like, you know, fine wine, proves with time, things that are etched on the soul. You see, time doesn't really change who you are. It reveals who you are. It makes you more of who you are. It makes you more set in your ways. I ain't making this up. It's all through the Bible. In Proverbs 11, it says this, He who earnestly seeks good, you're, you're the right person doing the right thing, finds favor. That's an outcome. That's a consequence of living that kind of lifestyle. But trouble will come to him who seeks evil. You're doing the wrong thing. There will be a result to that too. Not today, not tomorrow, but it's coming. You do the wrong thing and trouble's coming. In Proverbs 26, 27, I love how it says this. Whoever digs a pit, it's talking about messing with other people and how, how you think and act and whether you're a jerk or whether you're self-centered or nice. It says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. You're digging it for somebody else. You're the one who's going to fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it's going to roll back on them. If you have a critical spirit, Jesus said this best. In Matthew 7, he says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, with that measure, it will be measured to you. I love how the message puts that. makes it very easy to remember and understand. That critical spirit, it says, has a way of boomeranging back to you. That's what happens. That's what happens. You reap what you sow. Future you. Y'all want to know what future you is like. It's not so mysterious. It's current you. Exaggerated. That's what it is. But that actually can be good news. This is important. If you don't like what you're getting, if you don't like what you're getting, change what you're doing. If you don't like what you're getting, change what you're doing. You might look back on, okay, what was me five years ago? 
looking back on you. Now, I'm not talking about if you had some major catastrophe, you had some major bad thing that, that changes everything. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm just saying, look back on you five years ago. To see that you five years ago, what did you want to be? Where did you want to be now? What did you want to change? That five, five years ago, you. What did you want to change? What did you want to be better in five years? And you're looking now, looking back on that, and here's what you need to know. If you're disappointed now, you'll be way more disappointed then, five years from now. Because future you is just an exaggerated current you. So if you don't like what you're getting, you have to change what you're doing. You have to make different choices. You have to have different values. You have to change the ways. Change the ways that you're letting in before they begin to set in. Because the truth is, it's never too late to start making the right decisions. To begin doing better things. Some of you are thinking, I'm way too far on this end of the spectrum and you know, dawn's about to break for me. Here's the thing. If you're breathing, it's not too late to change. It's not too late. Here's something you need to understand in that vein. Ongoing consistency is much more important than short-term intensity. That's huge. Ongoing consistency, always much more important than short-term intensity. For instance, how would I like you to respond to this message? Not with short-term intensity. I'd like you to respond with a measured determination that you're going to set and say, I'm going to be that five years from now. That's why I'm not even going to talk yet about a list of changes. We're not there yet. It's way too early for that. Right now, we're just saying, we want you to understand the gravity of this. That ongoing consistency is far more important than short-term intensity. To understand, we're going to have to let this perk a little. We're going to have to let this settle in and realize this really is what it's going to be. Ongoing consistency, much more important than short-term intensity. It's like um, compound interest. Compound interest is like magic. And it just depends on which side of it you're on. Actually, that's a quote from Albert Einstein. I'm not kidding. That's what he said. If you're on the wrong side of it, for instance, like many, many of us, you buy a house, you pay $100,000 for a house, and you take out a 30-year mortgage, and you know what happens at the end of the 30 years? You've paid $300,000 because of compound interest. That's called being on the wrong side of the compound interest. That's why consistency, ongoing consistency is so important. I don't want you to just come up with something quick and fizzle out. We see what's important. We want down the road. But we try, and it doesn't work, and we fail, and so we quit. And then we discover five years have passed, and we're no further along than we were. We're only worse. We, we have something we want to tackle, and it's just too big, so we try a little bit, and we quit. I want to show you an example of this. Put that first picture up. Y'all know what dominoes are, right? These pretend, these are like dominoes. Did you know that a domino, you know, you, you, you stand them up and you knock one and it knocks the other one down? A domino can knock another domino down that's one and a half times as big as itself. So you take a domino and you go one and a half times bigger. This is a list, this is a, a row of 13, quote, dominoes. The first one that you can almost not see is five millimeters, one millimeter thick. It's like teeny, teeny, teeny. The one on the other end, 13 away, is a meter about three feet tall, it is, and weighs about 100 pounds. Now what we do is we look, that's 13 removed, just going one and a half times more each time. We look at that big one that weighs 100 pounds, and that's what we want, that's what we want our lives to be like, and we're this little five millimeter thing, and so we're constantly throwing it up against that big one. Oh, it's never going to change. 
And so we quit. That's what we do. We try to knock that big one down with where we're at now, and that's not going to happen because that's not how it works. I want to show you a quick video. It's kind of a, a cool but goofy professor, I think. But just watch what happens here. So what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. He needs to get in better shape in five years. Ready? Boom. That was 13 dominoes. If I had 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State Building. It was only one and a half, each one was only one and a half times bigger. If you went out from 13 to 29, it's as big as the Empire State Building. We see those bigger ones and we want to accomplish those things in our life and we can't. And it's because you're not supposed to accomplish those kinds of things overnight. It takes consistency. And too many people, I tried that, it doesn't work, you know. Their marriage has fallen apart. And I, I, I give them suggestions, you know. It's like, I, and I try not to use these words, but in essence what I'm saying is, well, first of all, you're being a jerk. And you need to be nicer. So maybe what you could do is just like, you know, do the dishes. Make the bed. I tried that once. It didn't work. You know, it's not ever going to work one time. All of these things happen as we do them over and over. It's consistency. Ongoing consistency is always what makes the difference. It's much more important than short-term intensity. You know, I can never do this. I tried that once and it didn't work. Because we give up. We don't stick to it. So back to what I said near the beginning. We all feel like we get stuck with the life. What life did you get stuck with? What do you get stuck with? I don't know if you remember, but I, I heard this all the time as a kid. Don't keep making that face, or it'll get stuck that way. <laughs> right? Do you know that's true? Because as you get older, you can get smile lines, or you can get grouchy wrinkle lines, and they're different. And that depends on what your constant normal is. It makes a difference. So the question, what is the life you get stuck with? Are you ready? The life you make. One little choice at a time. So make it a good one. I'd like you to bow your heads. In just a moment, we're going to close in prayer. But I'd like you to bow your heads for a moment. And maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're a guest, you're brand new, maybe you've been here since the beginning or somewhere in between, and you're thinking, this has kind of stirred me a little bit. I've been thinking, this makes me think. I don't want to be in five years where I am now, only exaggerated. I want it to be different. I, I feel somehow that God is touching me in this. I'm not saying you have any answers. I'm not even asking you to do anything specific. I'm just saying, has God nudged you? And you'd say, I need to make some different and better choices in the coming days. If he has, just right, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. If he's, if he's nudging you and asking you to make different, better choices all over, my, mine's up too. Mine's up too because I want that. You can put your hands down now. Here's the second part of this. There are those of you listening right now that have never yet made that yes decision for Jesus. It's been about church, religion, rituals, rules, regulations. It's not been about a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who can make your five-year you way better than you could ever imagine. You've never made that decision for him to believe and receive him and to follow Jesus like those dozens of people did here last week. Here's the thing. Today is the day. 
We're not guaranteed anything. Don't put that off. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, if the desire of your heart is to say yes to Jesus and follow him, you just pray along with me, silent. You don't have to be out loud. Jesus knows your heart. Just, just say, Jesus, I don't understand this all, but I, I, I have enough faith to say I'm turning to you. You're the door. I'm believing in you today. I believe, I receive you. I believe what you did was for me. I want you to be able to forgive my sin. I want to have meaning and purpose in life today. I don't want to be stuck in the wrong things. And I want to have a living hope for the future. So I'm turning to you today. And and as much as I understand of this, I trust you today. I'm turning from my way and I'm turning to your way. And Jesus, we know that, that whenever someone comes to you in sincere faith, that you'll never turn them away. That you will begin that relationship with them, begin that whole process of salvation and sanctification we talked about, making us closer to you, giving us that power to be able to to live on that we didn't have before. And my prayer, Father, is that we would take that, that we would use it, and stick with the things you ask us to do, knowing that what we can be in five years from now is more amazing than we ever thought if we do it your way. Father, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. I love that enthusiasm. That's great. Paul said, the night is about over. Dawn is about to break. It's coming fast, people. Too many here think, yeah, we just did a funeral Friday for a 43-year-old. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. We have a big plan for you in five years. You might not make it six months. We don't know. Today is the day. Today is the day to make the decision for Jesus and make the choices. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us so that we could have our sins forgiven, we could have our past forgiven, and we could have meaning and purpose in life today so that that, that, um, us in five years would be what you want it to be. We could be who we should be. Father, thank you, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.